invite you to take your Bibles this morning and open them with me to the first chapter of the Gospel of John, John's Gospel, chapter 1. We'll begin the reading at verse 43 in just a moment. John 1, verse 43. I heard about a mom who was concerned that her daughter might not get an acceptance letter from the school, the university, the college where she'd applied. And so she wrote a letter to the college president. And in essence, this is what it said. Dear Mr. President, I'm writing on behalf of my daughter who is a wonderful student. Although her abilities are not always reflected in exams, therefore I'm concerned that the entrance exams that your university requires, her scores might not be up to par. I went on to say how and what you would need them to be. The mother went on to say, however, I know best her personality I know where her interests lie, and I know what your school has to offer. She is a great fit for your university. And then she put in one little interesting tidbit there at the end of the letter, and it said, by the way, I do not see my daughter becoming a great leader. However, she is a great faithful follower. The college president read the letter and then decided it was worthy of response, and so he penned these words back to mom. Dear anxious mom, let me put your concerns aside and let you know that your daughter will be accepted in this year's freshman class. I look forward to meeting her, and I hope she has a meaningful experience while she is on our campus. And then he said, what you've said about your daughter, it just sort of resonates with me because we've had, well, we've expected 400 freshmen coming in this year. And after reading all of the biographies and essays that they write <clears throat> coming to our school, I report to you that there are 399 self-acclaimed leaders. And I'm quite certain they will need someone to follow them. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if all of us could be leaders? Now, I think depending on how you define it and the context of it, uh, all of us have influence. We, we get that. We understand that. But when it comes to a group and it comes to an organization, even when it comes to the church, the Bible is clear. Some, God has given those gifts, those abilities to lead and to lead effectively, to lead in ways that others of us simply admire and admire from a distance and say, you know, I'm so glad he, she is able to do that. That's not me. That's not who I am. That's not a part of my gift mix or my skill set. It's, it's, I'm thankful they're there, but I'm going to be me. This morning, we are going to make a transition in our study of the 12 disciples 
And I don't intend to say that eight of the twelve were leaders and the other four that we're looking at were just followers because I don't think that's the case at all. But the next four disciples that we're going to read about and study, we might say are, well, they're lesser known disciples. And as we look at them, we think, well, I don't know much about them. And as far as the group of the twelve disciples are concerned, they are certainly not the more prominent names that we recognize and continue to read about as the New Testament continues with the book of Acts and the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and the establishment of churches throughout Asia and all those regions there. And so you read the names and you wonder, whatever happened to these guys and why in the world did Jesus call them to be a part of the twelve? This is a great, great time for us to emphasize the fact that more and more people are needed who are not leaders. We've got enough chiefs. And I, I think it's interesting that this message would be applied on a given Sunday when we elect deacons. Now, the process has already taken place for the most part. One or two of you may have saved your ballot, and as I preach, you may change a name. I'm just kidding. You wouldn't do that. However, I want to assure our deacons that you are leaders, but you are servant leaders. That doesn't mean that the pastor and staff are the leaders and you simply follow. It means that you as a group come together as a team and cast a vision for this church and help this church understand the direction that God is leading you. And so there's one pastor, there's multiple staff members. All of these come alongside as support to do what God has called them to do. And as deacons come to serve, they also come to serve in their roles and in their abilities, whether it is prominent or whether it is a lesser known degree. Servants do not desire recognition. That's simply who we are. I want you to look in John's Gospel, chapter 1. Let me introduce the disciple to you this way. It tells us of how he came to know Jesus. And in verse 43, it begins with telling us about Jesus beginning his ministry. It said, the next day he, that would be Jesus, purposed to go into Galilee. And he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. This disciple, Philip, I am confident was a Jew, but he also had a Greek name. The name Philip means lover of horses, and I like that. But the name Philip was prominent among the Greeks in that day because we know that Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great and the husband of Cleopatra, by the way, was such an influential and admired man that as families began to have children during his tenure and during his time as king, they said, we, we want our son to follow in his steps. We, we want our son to be like him. 
his ability to bring people together, to bring unity to a group, to, to lead so effectively. And so many, many people began to name their sons Philip. What I'm going to show you is that I think God took that love, if that passion was there at all for horses, I don't know. It's not mentioned. We don't get that specific in Scripture. But God certainly transformed this man into a person who had a heart for people. And if you ask me to define a disciple of Jesus, I'd have to tell you that that defines a disciple for me. Jesus loved people. He didn't have an agenda. He just came to reveal himself as the son of God, accept him or not, but he was going to love you, he was going to accept you, and ultimately he would die for you. And followers of Jesus have to adopt that same mindset and that same mentality of Jesus. To be a disciple means that there are certain disciplines that are in your life. And those disciplines that we give ourselves to, like prayer and Bible study and worship and sharing our faith and giving and all the things that we do as a part of the Christian life are there for a reason. And the reason is to help us relationally as we reach out to one another. As we love and as we give ourselves to other individuals, maybe in our family, neighbors in the community where we live, and then of course certainly in the church. The first thing I want to show you here is that Philip was a man who sought the Lord. He went searching for Jesus. You see how that's mentioned here in verse 45 where it says that he went to his friend Nathaniel and said, we found him. Well, if you find something, typically you're looking for it, right? You're searching for it. And so it's, it's the idea here that Philip had met Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, and he follows him. And so the next thing he wants to do, what relationally, with the interest of a friend, he goes to Nathaniel and says, we found him. Now his words are interesting. Don't pass over this. Don't just run by it. Don't, don't just read it and say, oh, that's, that's interesting, that telling the story, how you found you. No, 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 no. Understand the background of what's happening here. You see, Philip was probably a part of a group of people who were looking for the Messiah, the Redeemer. And so as prophets and preachers would come and go. They would listen. They would evaluate. They would measure what they were saying against the Old Testament readings that they had in those days. And they were trying to figure out, is this the one? You remember they came to Jesus and said, are you the one or should we look for another? And so as, as they would listen to these preachers and these prophets, they were always interested, but it represents a searching for not just something but someone. Follow me on this. Every person who's born into this world is searching for God. They may not know it. They may not be able to express it in that way. But God gives us the ability as we come into this world, go to any part of this globe, and you will find people who are cultured, who are uncultured, who are educated, who are uneducated, but in some form or fashion as you get to the nitty-gritty of who we are as human beings, they will express an interest in knowing God. Who am I? 
Why am I here? Now those are sort of philosophical questions that can lead us to God. Sometimes, especially in this Western world, especially here in the United States, when there is such an awareness of materialism and opportunity, that interest and that desire to know God is found in other things, whether it's prominence or affluence or wealth or travel or whatever it is. It can be in relationships that are exposed and are exploited. But there is a desire to know, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? That's, that's what Philip was doing. And I want you to know it's what every person here is doing this morning. Have you found, did you notice here in verse 43 that it said that Jesus found Philip? And then in verse 45 it said, Philip said, I found him. That almost sounds contradictory, doesn't it? No, what it means is that God is always searching for those who will accept him and accept his plan for their life. And so many times we, we couch it in terms of, have you found Jesus? And when we find him, Jesus, yet yeah, it's not us finding him, it's him finding us. And when we find him, we'll discover he's been searching for us all along. And the invitation has been there, there, and there, and there. And it's only finally that we say, yes, I will accept the invitation to trust Jesus as my Savior. I remember when I found Jesus. I remember the searching that took place in my life. I was a nine-year-old boy, Calhoun County. You know this story. I came to be a Christian during a tent revival. An evangelist from Florida, E.J. Daniels, had come to... Bruce and set up a tent in the city park and we put down pine shavings and folding chairs and from Sunday through Friday, can y'all imagine going to church Sunday through Friday every single day? I did. My mother took me to church every time the doors were open. It didn't matter if it's WMU, Girls in Act, it didn't matter, I went. She wanted me there and so I, I was just exposed to church life so urban. And he ended that tent crusade, I can remember on Thursday night, E.J. Daniels preached a sermon, and he ended by talking about heaven, and he did what everybody knows that preachers do. He had everybody close their eyes, bow their heads, and ask if, you, if you're not sure you're going to heaven when you die, would you raise your hand? And I raised my hand. My pastor, Ed Gandy, by the way, who was in the crowd that night, he met us after that crusade as we were walking to our car, and he said, Beverly... I saw Bill raise his hand, and I thought to myself, well, you didn't do what the evangelist asked. <laughs> he said, bow your head and close your eyes. You're peeping. You're looking around. And my mother said, yeah, he, he's been asking questions. And that's the way it starts, isn't it? With children, they begin to ask, what does it mean when a person is baptized? What is that for? The Lord's Supper is shared, and they want to know, what is this bread? What is this cup? What is this all about? What does it mean to trust Jesus? Who is Jesus? And so the questions are abundant. It's all a part of the searching process. And that Thursday night, Dr. Gandy led me to Christ. It was June the 3rd, 1973. I can go back in that time. And I know that's when I found him. He found me. But, but, but follow me on this. That, 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 that searching hadn't finished. I'm still searching. 
Every day of my life. It's not that I'm searching to be saved. It's I'm searching to know where God is in my life and what He's inviting me to do. And wanting to know, Lord, is this for me? Is this your call? Is this your purpose? Is this a part of your plan for my life? You see, folks, every time we come to church, there are seekers. There are people who are looking. Look, yeah, there are some who've never met Christ, need to be introduced to Him, need to be saved, need to be baptized, need to be discipled in the church. Yes, those are the true seekers, but all of us are seeking, wanting to know. God, I've had this experience in my life. I got this news. I heard about a neighbor. What do you want me to... You see, folks... I mean, isn't that why we're here? You see, folks, there, there is a generation in this world. I'm not going to identify them because I don't want to label anybody here because there are always exceptions to the, to the general things that we say. So please understand and accept my heart here, but there is a generation of younger folks out there who don't believe the church has any relevance in their life. And when I say that there will come a day when some of them will wake up and discover just how lost they are, I don't mean lost without Jesus. I mean lost without bearings, lost without an understanding of how life is to be lived at all. Church is relevant. And that's why we're here. That's why we come together to pray, to encourage one another, and to let the risen Savior meet with us and speak so that we might know what his heart is. Well, we're searching, we're looking. Philip sought the Lord. Turn to John's, chapter, John's Gospel, chapter 6. Let me show you another incident in the life of Jesus. But Philip was involved. This is where Jesus was feeding the multitude. He's about to feed the thousands, remember, with the five barley loaves and the two fish. Look at what it says in verse 5. It says, therefore Jesus, this is John 6, verse 5. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes... And seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? <laughs> now y'all know I have a twisted sense of humor, right? <laughs> Most Sundays I think about this when I stand up to preach. Because y'all are hungry. These were hungry Baptists. Some of you are hungry spiritually, but all of us are hungry physically, right? We've had breakfast. Some of us, you know, I know about you senior adults. Y'all get up at 3.30 and eat at 4. <laughs> when you don't come to church, you eat lunch at 10.30, don't you? Most of you do. And then supper's at 3. <laughs> then you have a bowl of cereal at 7 before you go to bed. I, I know your routine because I'm becoming one of you. So... <sighs> Jesus asked Philip, they're hungry. Where, where are we going to buy bread and give them something to eat? Look at verse 6. This is interesting. This he was saying to test Philip. For he himself, Jesus, knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. Now, 200 denarii, folks, would be a year's wages. What Philip is saying we could work all year long. One of us could work all year long and not have enough money to everybody to receive a little. Literally in the Greek, it says for everybody not to have one bite. 
Lord, we could work all year and we can give everybody one morsel, just one sampling of whatever we, we purchased for them with that much money. How, how, I don't know. But go back to that verse, Jesus knew what he was going to do. Now, I love this because, follow me, G, Philip sought the Lord. Here it shows us that Philip served the Lord. And what, what I love about Jesus' response and what John tells us that Jesus was up to here with his intentions is because it puts, it puts the service to Jesus in a new light. Because what Philip was doing is what most of us do when it comes to doing something for the Lord. You know what we do? I can't do that. Why? Because we're measuring our own abilities. We're measuring our own past accomplishments. And we're saying, well, I've never done that in the past. I don't know that I can do that now. I don't have that ability. Lord, I'd have to work a whole year just, just to do one little... No, no, no. What Jesus is doing is trying to say to Philip, it's what he's saying to you and me, trust me. Let, let me do this for you. Let me do this through you. Notice that Jesus didn't take the bread and bless it and multiply it and feed everybody himself. He brought the disciples in, didn't he? He said, now you come get what I've broken, what I've multiplied, what, and go serve among the people. And the best part of this, if we were going to read to the end of the story, is when they come back and Jesus said, everybody been served? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, now go pick up the leftovers. Do what? <laughs> Remember? Five pieces of bread and two fish and thousands of people. We can estimate 5,000 men that were there. We don't know how many women and children. My goodness. Lord, you want us to go back and pick up the left. Again, Jesus revealing his abundance and his power and his strength. Listen, we need Sunday school workers. I don't mean we have vacancies right now. We need Phil. We may. I don't know about them, but we need Sunday school workers. We need vacation Bible school workers. We need ushers. We need deacons. We need people when we call and say there's an opportunity for there to be more people to come and volunteer than are actually needed. Service in the church is not an option. Listen to me. I, I don't know a lot of things about God's will specifically for your life or, well, I know for mine because it's my life. I may not know for yours. Here's what I know for every single one of us. Number one, God wants us to be saved. Number two, God wants us to be spirit-filled. Number three, God wants us to serve. And number four, are you ready for this? God wants us to suffer. You say, ooh, you didn't even have to go there. I know. I don't like to think about it either. But with the suffering as it's mentioned in Scripture, there is this picture of sacrifice. So that we put our needs aside so that God may be revealed through us in our service to others. My question to you is, are you serving? In what capacity are you serving? What opportunities have you said no to? What opportunities can you needed to increase to? During World War II, England needed to increase its production of coal. Winston Churchill, of course, was the leader there, and he knew it was going to be an unpopular request. However, he went to Parliament and he made his appeal, and in Winston Churchill fashion, he did it with flamboyance. He did it with flair. He did it in a charismatic sort of way as he stands to speak. Now, I can just see him in all the pictures there with his cigar. He probably didn't light it in Parliament, but he was there with, you know, and he's making his appeal. 
And then history says that he did this. He said, now close your eyes. All of my members of parliament, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to envision the parade that's going to take place in Piccadilly Circus when the war is over and we have won. He said, the confetti is falling and in comes our soldiers. There comes the Navy. There comes the Army. There comes the, you know, militia. There, there comes all these members of our army in England. And we applaud them and we are shouting. And behind them, there was in victory and appreciation for what they've done. And he said, and right behind them, there will come a throng and a multitude of people who are more in number than our militia. And they will have sweat-stained clothes and soot-covered faces, and he said, I can hear the applause begin to dwindle as people begin to ask, who are these? Who are, can't you see Winston Churchill doing this to the members of parliament? And he says, and you want to know who these are? And he said, somebody will stand and say, these are those who have during the war had their faces to the coal and have provided the resources that we need to have won the war. And he said, and then the applause will begin to swell and people will shout an acclamation and appreciation for all that these people have done. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that we need individuals who will roll up their slaves, uh, sleeves and put their faces to the coal to do the work of the church. Pastor, that's where deacons come in. It all begins with a pastor. He needs to do that too. And then the deacons who are servant leaders come alongside and say, absolutely, we will do it too. And others be inspired to follow. Philip just didn't seek the Lord. He didn't just serve the Lord. I want to show you here in John 12, or John 14, excuse me, that he also saw the Lord. You know John 14, Jesus is in the upper room and he's speaking and he's already been interrupted once by Thomas who said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? Look at verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Read on in this passage, and do you know what Jesus will challenge the disciples? Is to let the Father abide in them as the Father has abided in Him. And He goes on to say, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. You may not have seen Him with your eyes, literally. But you've seen him with the eyes of faith. You, you've seen acts of kindness. You've seen things done that were in a, in a moment of grace. 
And you wonder, how did that person have the unction and the ability to even do that? It was Jesus doing it through them. Those seekers that I was talking about a little while ago, folks, who come, maybe some, you know what we're waiting on? We're waiting to see Jesus in and through our own lives. I I love the story about the little boy who was in kindergarten. And the teacher had on the chalkboard, we don't have chalkboards much these days, it's a whiteboard now with an expo marker, right? But she had drawn an outline on the board that represented Jesus. And she just wanted to direct the attention of the children to that, to that drawing. And she talked about how Jesus wants to come in their hearts and he wants to live in them and he wants to be seen in them and so forth. And one little boy you could tell was just kind of interesting is he was looking there and he was trying to figure out and, and then all of a sudden she stopped and she said, now do y'all have any questions? And he, he said, I do. And he walked up to the board and he said, now you're telling me that's Jesus? She said, that's right. And you're telling me he wants to come and live in my heart and in my life? She said, that's right. He looked at that drawing and he said, if he comes live in me, he'll stick out. (laughs) So big. She said, precisely. As John the Baptist said of Jesus, so must we say of him, I must decrease. He must increase. Father, I pray that you would take this message and use it, apply it to any and every heart here. And Lord, I pray that if there is any person here, young or old, who has yet to publicly acknowledge an acceptance of Jesus Christ and a commitment to him, that you would give them the courage to come forward, to, to share with this church and then ultimately with the world that they are not ashamed that they are a Christian. That they know that only through Christ can heaven be their eternal destiny. Only through Christ can their life have meaning and purpose on this earth. I pray, Father, that there are Christians here today looking for a church home because you would lead them, let them come unite with our church family. Use what gifts and abilities they have so that your church may be strengthened. Help every single one of us who go by the name of Christian to decrease so that Jesus may increase so that others may see you in us. Through Jesus we pray.